Welcome back to the Black Madonna Speaks with me, your host, Stephanie Georgiev. Thank you so much for sharing your valuable time with me. And for those of you who have subscribed, thank you. And a special thanks to my Patreon supporters, especially Linda Reinschild, Geraldine Brousseau, Hatian Grobler, and Jennifer Johnson Lee, whose sustained generosity and patience these past several years has made my writings as well as this podcast possible. Another shout out to my new patrons. I want to welcome Henry Sims, Donna Blevins, William Piper, and Janie Newton to the fold. And if you would like to support this podcast, there are several ways to do that. You can subscribe, share, and like. You can also make a one-time donation through PayPal or become a patron on Patreon. The liturgical year and cycle of feast days in both the Catholic and Orthodox Christian traditions is full of every sort of festival one can imagine. One of the feast days in September is of great interest in our study and understanding of the Black Madonna. On September 4th, one of the seven great feast days or festivals of the Church is celebrated. Depending on one's creed, it is called everything from the exaltation of the cross to the uncovering of the cross. The feast day also varies as to the date when it's celebrated. The essence of this festival is the recognition of the discovery and restoration of the cross where Christ was crucified. This discovery was by St. Helen, the mother of the Emperor Constantine. She is also called St. Helen of the Cross. As I studied the origins of the Black Madonna, I found that other than the evangelist Luke as the artist, the images did not have artists associated with them. What I learned is that all of the Black Madonnas have interesting and, in my opinion, very symbolic stories of discovery. Another fascinating association I discovered regarding the Black Madonnas is that they often had an association with ancient sites of worship that changed hands, so to speak, throughout the centuries. As you have heard me say in many of my videos, podcasts, and also have read in my book, The Black Madonna, Mysterious Soul Companion, is that many of these works of art emigrated, so to speak, from North Africa and the Holy Land to the continent. The later migrations of the Black Madonnas were due to the Knights Templar and the Crusaders. The earliest migrations of Black Madonnas happened when Coptic monks from North Africa started to evangelize the European continent. Another pattern that is actually shared by some of the more famous Black Madonnas, such as Chestahova, Einsiedeln, and Montserrat, is that the discovery of these Madonnas is attributed to St. Helen of the Cross. For those of you who went to a school or church that was called either Holy Cross or Constantine and Helen, you're quite familiar with the story of Helen and her namesake, the Cross. As we will start to discover together, her story is quite profound when it comes not only to the Black Madonna, but the tradition of the arts within Christendom, and also of how the mysteries have evolved since the beginning of time. We will also come to understand how these mysteries involve my personal favorite medieval order of knights, 
the much misunderstood Knights Templar. St. Helen is a fascinating character in the evolution of Christianity in Europe. She was basically a consort of the Emperor Constantinus Caloris. Now, the word consort is a fancy name for royal or imperial concubine, meaning she never married the emperor in the legal sense and had a dynastic marriage to another woman. And one of the most famous fictional accounts of this is one of the prequels of the famous Mists of Avalon. And uh, it's a really interesting story of uh, Helen. It's very interesting, and I, I recommend you reading it. I think it's called Forest House. Now, Helen was a Christian in her own right. She was the mother of Constantine the Great, and Constantine the Great was arguably one of the history's most influential emperors of the Roman era. As I said before, Helen was a Christian in her own right and rose to great prominence when Constantine became emperor. In the Eastern Church, icons and frescoes are quite ubiquitous when it comes to Helena and Constantine. When I gave my talks on the Christ impulse in the Balkans, past, present, and future, in Ohrid, Macedonia, several summers ago, I covered Constantine to a great extent in those lectures. The, the condensed version of those lectures is Constantine is quite a complex character and much more faulted and imperfect than we are led to believe. While he was instrumental in helping to alleviate the persecutions of Christians during his reign, it really was his mother, Helen, that had a more benevolent approach to Christianity and a path to enlightenment. Constantine the Great fell under the spell, so to speak, of palace gossip that had slandered his wife and his heir to the throne. Constantine had both of them assassinated while they were innocent of the gossip that surrounded them. To say that Helen was distraught was an understatement. Legends tell us that she was one of the influences that led to Constantine's Edict of Milan, proclaiming the official tolerance of Christianity as a cult within the Roman Empire. Now, what Helen did, I thought, was quite interesting she was convinced that Constantine's soul was at stake after this terrible deed and had a dream about the deed and decided the only way for this great sin to be atoned was that she would atone for him, uh, not exactly for him to atone for himself. And part of this atonement was for her to go on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land and obtain the relics of Christ's passion, as well as locate the places where all of the events of Christ's ministry and passion took place. I don't particularly understand the symbolism of this. It's uh, quite a codependent thing to do, obviously, but 
mothers love their sons. We are told that Helen, at the age of 80, embarked on her pilgrimage, armed with an entourage of servants, an official imperial edict, and quite a bit of money to sweeten the deal. The legend states that it was a combination of dreams, working with local officials, and the Gospels that led Helen to all of the places we now associate with Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. We also know that there are sites in Nazareth and Magdala and in the Sinai Desert that were also deemed holy sites associated with various uh, events in both the Old and New Testament. And these were all, quote-unquote, discovered by Helen. All of the churches that are standing today were constructed upon her insights and patronage. Working with a local archivist for Jerusalem, she located what was considered a garbage dump uh, of the day. Her servants dug deep below the surface and found the three crosses of Golgotha, a crown of thorns, nails, and the sign that was nailed above Christ's head during the crucifixion. What I find interesting about Helen is that she was, in essence, one of the first patrons of the Christian arts. Churches were built as a result of her efforts. She is also credited with bringing many Black Madonnas back with her when she returned to Europe from her pilgrimage. She was able to give these works of art to Constantine and to distribute some of the art to noble families who were responsible for bringing them to the continent. These families, in turn, either had them within their private collections or gave them to their favorite monasteries or bishops of their local regions. This is how both the famous Black Madonna of Czestochowa, Montserrat, and Einsiedeln made their way to Europe. For me, this is an interesting connection between the arts as a spiritual expression in Christianity and a connection between the Holy Land and Europe in terms of the evolution of Christianity. That a woman was involved in this process, specifically Helen of the famous Helen and Constantine, is also remarkable and worthy of attention. The Black Madonnas have quite a profound relationship to the Knights Templar. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who gave the Templars their order and advocated on their behalf with the Vatican, had his conversion experience at the foot of a Black Madonna in his childhood parish church. The original nine knights who made up the Templars that settled in Jerusalem at the Dome of the Rock are also interesting in terms of the Black Madonna. The Dome of the Rock was thought to be part of Solomon's temple. The knights were said to have excavated under the temple for nine years. And Rudolf Steiner tells us through his many lectures on the Templars that they held grail initiations in the depths of the temple. The knights had an affinity for Mary Magdalene and are also credited with bringing many black Madonnas 
to Europe with them as they returned from their sojourn in Jerusalem and also from the Crusades. According to both Steiner's research that I read through Manfred Schmidt Brabant in a lecture entitled The Mission of the Templars as Emissary of the Holy Grail, there are very interesting correlations between the Templars, Jerusalem, and the Camino. In these writings, the Templars' evolution throughout history is observed. Steiner states that the individualities that were Templars had incarnations during the Egyptian period and were involved in the Isis cult. It was during this period of the Isis cult that these individuals also learned of star wisdom. After this incarnation, these individuals witnessed from across the threshold the events surrounding the Queen of Sheba. Later, the individualities that later became the Templars were involved in an incarnation where they were schooled in the Pythagorean mysteries. The Pythagorean mysteries are best understood for us lay people as involving mathematics and geometry and their relation to universal truths. When we jump to the time of the Templars in Europe from 1118 through 1307, there was an absolute explosion of building projects on the continent. It was the time of Gothic cathedrals and also the time of the Black Madonna. While in Jerusalem, the Templars studied with the Dionysian monks of the area along with the mystical sects of Islam, and learned quite a bit from both of these orders in terms of architecture and philosophy. A leading context for both the Templars and high Christian initiates in the mystery schools of the great cathedrals of this time was how the universe was changing from an age of wisdom meaning ideas, thinking, and wisdom coming from the cosmos and permeating all of existence, this was transforming into an age of love. The interesting thing, which is a bit daunting when you think of it, is that love, a cosmos of love, is and will be the task of humanity. We are chosen to choose love in freedom as part of this transformation of the cosmos of wisdom into the cosmos of love. The Templars knew this and they tried to create cultural initiatives in order to foster the creation of a culture based on love and freedom. The Templars knew the only way to invite people into a culture of love through freedom was through the arts. And did they ever invite people through the arts? During their nearly 200-year tenure, the Templars were great patrons of the arts with schools, supporting guilds, and one of the largest building campaigns ever in the history of humanity. I totally understand that the history of the Templars is quite complex and not always very positive. But if you look at the high ideals, these are the ideals that I tend to focus on. In addition to their support and initiation of the arts, 
the Templars put the Black Madonnas all along the Camino. When you look at many of these Black Madonnas, they look quite ancient, and many art historians point to the similarity they have with Isis statues. I find it remarkable that when one considers the Templars commencing with excavations in Jerusalem, living and working with the monks and Muslims of the era, they of course were aware and probably visited the ancient churches that Helen of the Cross had founded. Some scholars theorize that the Templars were looking for the Ark of the Covenant. There's credible evidence that their search led them to Oxum in Ethiopia, where the Ark is fabled to reside. Other scholars theorize the Templars were searching for Sophia, or wisdom, and performed Sophianic rituals in Solomon's temple. I also find it remarkable if one leads credence to their past incarnations involving Isis cults, star wisdom, and being schooled in Pythagorean mysteries, how this influenced their incarnation during the High Middle Ages. Was their contact with Jerusalem and Helen of the Cross influencing their devotion to the Black Madonna? Why did they place these images along the Camino? which is also known as the Way of the Stars. Did one of the original Christian patrons of the art inspire them to take this initiative to the next level? As always, I trust you, my listeners, to make your own conclusions. I hope one day in the not-too-distant future to explore these sites. The great pandemic postponed my dreams, but did not diminish them. Stay tuned for information on future opportunities to join me either in person or virtually on such a journey. Thank you so much for spending your valuable time with me. Thanks again to my patrons. And I hope you enjoyed this segment as much as I did. I'll see you in the next time. And blessings on your journey, your journey of the soul.